Meister Eckhart said, be willing to be a beginner every single morning. Welcome, everybody. This is the premiere episode of Thelonious Pundits. It is a Criminal Minds podcast. We are here to rewatch for some of us and recap the show Criminal Minds. My name is Kintad Hupachu Svensgard. That's my full name. And now I'd like to introduce to you all a friend of mine who will be along on this ride with us. Please welcome AJ Mass to the show. Well, hey, Kintad. Thank you so much for delivering my profile for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is this is a show that delves into that. It's a it's a procedural, so to speak. I mean, I guess it's along the lines of all the CBS shows, your CSIs, your GAGSs, your JAGs, your DAGs. Yeah, your, your Chicago trilogy. <laughs> yeah, and it's about. As we are to discover during this episode, a department of the FBI called the BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit, and that's what the show is about. Interestingly enough, this is a, a rewatch for you, AJ. You have seen all 15 seasons? I, I have seen all 15 seasons. Not only is this a rewatch for me, one might say this is a re, 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 watch just a little bit. I've seen these episodes. Uh, so, uh, I am from New York city originally and my wife and I grew up, uh, we, we, we used to live in a neighborhood that was, uh, you know, you, you need the sounds of the city to put you to sleep. So we need, we need that noise. And then, uh, we moved far, far away from the city. Uh, and, uh, it was too quiet, which is way yeah. too quiet. So we needed to put something on TV to provide background noise to help us to sleep. And we network just happened to be on our cable system, and they they love themselves the criminal mind. So they would show from like 8 p.m. till 4 in the morning, nonstop episodes of Criminal Mind. So we would just have it on the background, and you know, some nights if you have insomnia, you watch an episode, you watch a second episode, and uh, they turn it around real quick. So I've probably seen every episode of Criminal Minds at least for the first 12 seasons um, about 15 times. Whether or not I paid right. attention is a different story. Okay, so you've got the, you've got the pedigree, and I've got the boyful spirit trying to adventure and and find something for the first time. I am a, fi- a fan of procedurals, but just this one just sort of slipped past me. I don't know how, don't know why. I was doing things from 2005 to 2020. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my, my my son just turned 16. Uh, probably about a week ago from when we're recording this and you know we realized that like oh he was born in the same year criminal minds was born oh wow (laughs) so he made it to 16 they didn't (laughs) well i guess some shows shouldn't really stay that long and we can talk later if you think it it uh it overstayed its welcome too long did it jump the shark at some point um i'm sure we'll get into that we got we got 323 episodes to uh to decide (laughs) that My biggest hope is that as we do this week to week is that it doesn't move off of, of Netflix or, or Hulu because those are the two streaming services 
that I have, which, uh, by the way, people, if you haven't watched the show and you want to watch along with us, by all means, please do. This is going to be my foray into it. So we're bringing you two perspectives here, so to speak, the complete neophyte and the old pro, you know. Okay, so at least for for in terms of what we're about to see with the pilot, I'm kind of more the Gideon, and you are more the Dr. Spencer Reed. Exactly, exactly. Although, uh, if any of you guys out there know either of us in real life, uh, we are probably both far from those descriptions as possible. Definitely, I agree. But anyway, let's get into it. Let's go ahead and recap the pilot episode of Criminal Minds. So, AJ, the first episode, like I said, it debuted in 2005 on September 22nd, 2005. Season one, episode one is titled Extreme Aggressor. Ooh. Directed by one Richard Shepard, who I'm not really familiar with, but perhaps he will have done more than one episode. And I can go, oh, this is a Shepard. <laughs> and it was written by the creator of the show, Jeff Davis. I'll just get into the recap. We open the show cold open. It's an overhead view, a rainy day in Seattle, Washington. And we cut from the sky view. And then we cut into an office doing one of those beautiful overhead shots. And there's a funky song that's playing that I looked up. It's by somebody called a band called Citizen Cope. And the name of the song is Penitentiary. And it, Penitentiary, I can't pronounce the word, but you know what it is. It was Jail. A, Jail. Exactly. Penitentiary. And it's a nice little tune. So if you want to look that one up, I, I kind of enjoyed the sort of ominous but funky mood it was setting for the uh, open. We see a woman that's typing on her keyboard in her office. And this turns out to be one Heather Woodland, who was played by an actress named Shalay Horsdell. So you're going to have to forgive me because these names, if I mispronounce them, it's like you trying to pronounce my name the first time. You know what I mean? It's not Pretty always much, be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're going to get a lot of uh, these uh, opening uh, shots. The, the, the Criminal Minds recipe is to start most episodes with some sort of crime taking place. We're going to see, we may not always see who's responsible. Sometimes we're going to play along with, with the BAU and see if we can figure it out. But sometimes mm -hmm. they're just going to show us and say, here they are. Uh, but we're, we're going to see a crime of some sort at the start of almost every episode. And, uh, you know, if generally speaking, if the person's not going to stay around very long <laughs> in the mm -hmm. episode, there's a good chance you've never heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I haven't uh, heard of Chalet, but I thought she did a fine job in this part. And anyway, she's in her office and she's looking online, uh, looking to buy a sporty little car, sporty looking car. It's an orange car. She thinks it looks attractive to her. And she's chatting up with the seller online and she's asking him why the car is so cheap. Uh, he types back at her that he's moving. He's got to sell the car right away. You up for a test drive? And so uh, we cut to Heather standing on the sidewalk in a rainstorm because it's Seattle. And uh, we see some guy pull up in the aforementioned car. He gets out to open the door for her. But, of course, we can't really see him this whole time. So you already know, like, OK, we can't see him. She is not listed as one of the stars. She's not a big name. I think this is a bad sign. But, you know, I'm going to go with it. You know, this is me <laughs> not knowing the show. Well, you, you don't know the routine yet. Yeah, you yeah, don't know yeah. what's going on. This is your first watch. But, yeah, this is... There's no bad vibe here. It it, it seems very uh, friendly and collegial, and uh, you know, hey, it look other shows. You know, for anyone who watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know that did a little bait and switch where the damsel in distress turned out to be the vampire who kills the the guy. So you never know. You never know. 
Tell yeah. me what happens. What's going to happen next? Okay, so after they sort of do a little brief intro, Heather gets into the driver's seat to do the test drive as one would do. Guy gets into the passenger seat and they're driving along and he's he's giving her all the car talk, you know. This is a 2.4 cylinder engine, da 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 da. And Heather says some car gobbledygook back to him. The guy seems impressed with her, you know. So they drive for a bit and he asks if she wants to look under the hood. She's all about that. Uh, so they get out and they're looking under the hood and he's telling her, oh yeah, maybe you should have a mechanic look it over. And uh, you know, and everything seems legitimate. You know, everything seems standard. So they, at this point they swap seats again and, and Heather gets into the passenger side and the man closes the door, but unseen by Heather, he snags the lock. It's, this is an old school car. It has like the locks, the tall spindly, like it's yeah, a lock. It's not like the button. Like it almost looks like you're playing a trumpet with it. Like patoom, 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 patoom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, he snags that, right? Yes, he She's does. not even seeing it. He just no. snags it. And you know, okay, this ain't normal. That that was not normal. Uh, unless he only unless he only had one for both doors. <laughs> both sides. He had to take his fair lock between you know, like two and <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a car I might have had back in the day, but uh, no. So he takes the lock and uh, closes the door behind her. And then uh, we get he gets in and starts driving. And then we get I feel like we've seen this scene before where the person is in the car with the bad guy. Hey, okay, that's my block. That's what, 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 what? And she, and, and they drives past, you know, uh, that spot. I feel like I've seen that before, but this is where I want to give kudos to Sheila uh, and her acting because I thought she did a really good job with her. Oh, hello. <laughs> uh, and then the, the realization that, okay, wait a minute, this guy's a creep. Uh, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely a slow burn there is, uh, you know, because he doesn't talk. From this point forward, she's no. like, you know, you missed the turn. Um, well, maybe you can make the U-turn over there, but you could get it up. And then she kind of like notices that the button is gone, the the door pull, and yeah. and then her face just kind of like turns into uh, a mask of, oh no, yeah. what have I done? <laughs> yes, I I I I believed Shila in this moment. I just wanted to say that she, I thought she did well with her part. And kudos to the to the show for then, you know, suddenly morphing the music into this really hardcore Phil yes. Collins in the air tonight. <laughs> in the air tonight, but it was like Marilyn Manson. I mean, it wasn't Marilyn Manson, but it was like some kind of, yeah, hardcore version. I wanted to wait for the drum solo, but we didn't, they didn't, we didn't stay in the car that long. I get it, no. <laughs> so, yeah, she looks, she realizes at this point it's just big trouble. And she looks over and sees the the car lock missing, and then she starts sort of screaming. And and our our criminal mind uses his criminal fist and and clocks her in the head. Poor poor Heather. So that's that's the start. Yeah yeah yeah. He he's not he's uh he's probably not gonna get a good rating. <laughs> <laughs> no no. I think you know maybe future buyers might. Uh, yeah. One star? What? Why? <laughs> Punch me in the face. <laughs> Wouldn't drop me off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. We cut to the Washington, D.C. home of, well, I keep calling him Greg in my head. Uh, <laughs> Thomas Gibson, who uh, was in his show back in the day, Greg and Dharma. He's playing a guy named Aaron Hotchner. I think we call him Hotch. He is Just, called Hotch, yes. We can call him Hotch and, and be okay with that. He's with his uh, wife, who is pregnant, named Haley. 
who's played by, I, I just like the name of this actress who plays his wife, Haley. It is Meredith Monroe. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. She's, she's not Marilyn Monroe, no. She's Meredith Monroe. <laughs> Meredith Monroe. And uh, I'm sure she's never heard any comment about that at all. Uh, kind of, kind of, it's kind of the reminiscent of Melrose Place's Josie Bissett in kind of her appearance uh, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's that good. kind of favorite visual comp for those who are not watching and just listening. That, yeah, and if anybody's watching this, tell me how you're doing that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, they're going back and forth and they're talking about possible baby names, and Hotchner doesn't seem really happy at all when Haley playfully suggests the name Gideon. He's all, no, 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 no way. She's like, it's perfect. It's Hebrew. Look it up. Look at what it means. And and then they don't tell us what it means right then. So I'm I'm hoping, you know, this is one of those things that will have some payoff. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, you know, you start your list. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert, I did look it up before we got before I got to the end of the episode because I was mad that they say, look it up, see what it means. And then they didn't say anything. All right. Well, just promise me you're not going to spend 15 seasons of this uh, doing everything that the characters on the show tell you to do or tell other characters to do, because you you might develop a bit of a record. (laughs) We're in trouble, AJ. It's going to happen. Okay. so uh, (laughs) I did look it up anyway. All right. I'm going to spoil it because I I had to know. And uh, Gideon in Hebrew technically means feller. As in one who fells. As in cutting down trees. Yes. Not as one who is clumsy and trips all the time. Right. Or not like seven brides for seven brothers going to marry me a feller. Not that. Right. I, not uh, not uh, Indians Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Feller. No. No. <laughs> it also means uh, hewer and uh, also has a translation of one who has a stump in the place of a hand. Well, now. Thought I'd share that with you. I mean, you know, if you're hoping for a healthy child, that's not a name you want to have under consideration. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, anyway, we'll we'll get back to the name Gideon uh, at some point, I, I'm sure. A little cute back and forth happens between the two, and then a phone rings, and then it's actually uh, a fax, whatever that is, arriving at the house. And well, it, you know, they're just they're just trying to keep in with the uh, the the whole Back to the Future Part Two of it all, where you know <laughs> where a fax machine is still something that goes on in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 2005 though. I I, I try to think. I, I I feel like maybe that was the dying day. I, I like I could still buy it, you know. Yeah, especially for especially for. Uh, I mean, we don't. I don't think we fully know 100% at this point, but you know he's our he's our main FBI guy that we're you know one of the main FBI guys that we're going to beat. So yeah, I'm sure the government agency would communicate via fax because it's harder to intercept and you know you're not going to get any verbal. Right. Your line is tapped. You actually have to physically read the document, and I don't think anyone listening in on the phone tap is going to understand. Um, so, but also at Bletchley Circle have translated it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It says Gideon means stump hand. Oh, boy. So there's a fax coming in, and we see just brief, apparent, briefly, apparently he's getting faxed the, the missing poster for our girl, Heather. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know why they would just, <laughs> oh, I got the poster. Let me just fax that to uh, Hotch real quick. You know, it's 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 a way to link what you saw earlier to what you see now, I guess. But yeah, there's a little look. It's a pilot. Let's let's just let a little bit go. 
<laughs> yeah. As I hope our audience uh, lets lets this go. This is our pilot, so to speak. So indeed, we have we have a lot in common with Criminal Minds. So then next we cut to a chic looking bar. And my man, sorry, let me say that a little softer. I might have popped my mic. My man, Shamar Moore, swat, swat. <laughs> plays a, a guy named Agent uh, Derek Morgan. And he's sitting around with three beautiful ladies. And I don't know if it's important for me to note that it was quite the multicultural selection of ladies. <laughs> but there was a, a Caucasian woman, an African-American woman, and an Asian woman. Just thought that was interesting. I I have no comment further than that. It was it's good for the time, good for the show. I liked to see it. Thought I'd bring that up. Yeah, I I absolutely. I think uh, it's fair that uh, you know. He, but he's a he's a he's a man for everyone. Exactly. Uh, as they do the the same basic introduction to his character as in like you know most shows uh, the sh- of the Shonda Rhimes universe, where it's like <laughs> oh. Here I am at the bar, and I'm a handsome man in a suit. Look at me. I'm a gladiator. <laughs> uh, exactly. It's, that's perfect. That's a perfect uh, reference. And um, so he, he's apparently he's playing some kind of serial killer trivial pursuit with these girls, <laughs> um, as one does. <laughs> and he says, uh, he's all, uh, 1940s, he puts bombs in train stations and movie theaters. And the girls, like, right off, oh, that's the mad, mad bomber George Metesky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this. I, I don't know what's going on here, but I love it. And well, trivia uh, has changed over the years. <laughs> yeah. and, and for some reason, he doesn't chastise them for not putting it in the form of a question. He just is like, all right, cool. The losers, you guys are going to get to drink. <laughs> and uh, this is some kind of weird drinking game. And, and one of the losing ladies is like, hold on, Shamar. Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Mateski wasn't really a serial killer because his bombs didn't ever kill anyone. And he's he starts going into you think all we do is serial killers? No, we do we do the whole gamut, the whole spectrum of psychos. He's like, we get all the wackos, and then one of the uh, ladies, she's up on it, and she's like, uh, do you get all the supervising agents trying to get Chinese drunk? And I was like, ooh, burn, burn. She had his number, like they were they were having fun, but they they knew the scoop. Yeah, I think they did a nice, a nice job of uh, interrupting uh, the uh, the creator of the show, writer of the show's exposition speech, his pitch meeting. <laughs> it's like, look, look, look right. we're already on the air. You can slow your roll. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. There's only, uh, there's only about 42 minutes of actual runtime to this episode. Can we can we move it along? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they were doing. So anyway, after she gives him that burn. Shamar's phone rings. I'm going to keep calling. You're going to, folks, I apologize. Uh, you're going to hear me switch names all throughout this thing between the actual name of the actor or the name of the character. Or... It's the pilot. It's understandable. Trust me. But by, by, by season three, you're going to be calling him Derek Morgan. <laughs> okay. okay, good. So uh, Morgan uh, gets a phone call and he holds up his old ass 2005 flip phone, which still has, you know, like the writing on the front in big letters who's calling. So this Top secret special agent holds up his phone for the entire like if you were in that bar, you'd be like, oh, my man, he works with BAU. <laughs> he holds it up and it says BAU right as day on the phone. And one of the girls is like, oh, behavioral analysis unit. Uh, you work with Gideon? Uh, were you with him in Boston? And uh, he's all I was supposed to be. 
I just loved that line reading from Shimada. <laughs> I was supposed to be. So we know now something went down with, with Gideon in Boston. Something happened in Boston with Gideon, and um, he don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yes. And we still haven't seen Gideon, but we've heard the name with Hotch's family, and then we now we've heard a little bit more about Heck, you. You went and did a whole full etymology on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is true. But you didn't look up Hotchner, though, did you? I don't. Guess what I'm doing after we do this show. <laughs> again, again, don't do everything someone tells you to do. <laughs> oh, it's going to so be so simple. easy. So next we cut to a slideshow. Uh, we're seeing photos of dead people. And we realize that we're uh, at a BAU training session at, at the FBI in Quantico, Virginia. And we hear Gideon himself asking if anyone recognizes these faces. And someone says, yeah, those are all the victims of the footpath killer. And Gideon's like, yeah, that's what the papers call him. And I think this (laughs) next part is important, AJ. He says, that's what the papers call him. But we refer to him as the unknown subject or the unsub. Yes. Uh, um, There's a lot of lingo in this show. And... It, what is one of the funny things about the show is that it's 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 stuff that is hardwired into all of the characters that we're going to meet and see every week. And every week they're going to go somewhere else. And pretty much every week someone's going to go, I'm sorry, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so it, it, they're training the audience, too. And you're going to hear a lot of things where they say, uh, you know, if, if it was just them in the room, they'd just go, yeah, the unsub, the unsub, the unsub. But they're talking to us, too, so they got to really dumb it down, slow it down. It's yep. the unknown subject, a.k.a. the unsub. Trust me, that ain't the last time you're going to hear them explain it and drag it out. In fact, there are going to be some mighty, mighty ridiculous ones as the show goes on, and we'll keep track of them as as they come up. I'll be sure to point them out to you, where they just go overboard with explaining the obvious um, because they just assume that my audience doesn't know anything. There's one in this episode. We'll get to it. <laughs> oh, I love this. I love this. Uh, that's that's great. Yeah, let's keep track of those. So uh, then we finally cut to a full shot and finally see Gideon. Uh, and only by looking at the the cast list on IMDb did I realize he had a first name, which is Jason. Um, and Gideon is actually his last name. There we go. I, the whole time I'm thinking the dude's name is Gideon, like that's his first name. It is not. It is uh, not. No. He is. Uh, he's in front of a class of eager trainees. Before we know it, he's letting the class know what he told the Virginia PD about the footpath killer. He knows exactly what they're looking for. He's a profiler, so he says, "Yeah, we're looking for a white male in his 20s. He owns an American-made truck in disrepair. He works a menial job." And I told those guys, when you find him, don't be surprised if you hear him speak with a severe stutter. And then there's a, a girl in the audience, in the in the crowd, one of the trainees, and she's like, hey, hey, you know, wait a minute, come on now, uh, how, how could she doesn't buy it basically? And she speaks and, uh, for all of us at this point, quite frankly, because, yeah. you know, it, it does sound a bit absurd to be that spot on. You know, what was he raising bread for breakfast, too? Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, come on, good job, Sherlock. And so he says, hey, look, where did these murders occur? They were in hiking paths, isolated areas. If I'm a killer who has to use an immediate application of overpowering force out in the middle of nowhere, I lack confidence. I can't charm them like Bundy. I can't because I'm I'm ashamed of something. 
So that's the <laughs> that's the profile. <laughs> oh, 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 man! I, I I thought we were about to have a deep conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was. I will, you know, I do have some thespian skill myself, so I will on occasion be indistinguishable from from the characters you know and love sure, on the sure, show. Sure, sure. Of course, you know, this is, again, played by the, the wonderful Mandy Patankin. Uh, so it really it came across more like, and you know, when you're doing the thing, he's in the field, and he's, he doesn't have the kinds of confidence. My name is Anego Matoya, prepare to die. I'm sorry, I won't do that every episode, but I had to get one of these one in. You had to get, yes, and, and that was a good place for it. As we meet Mr. Patankin, who is the star for all 15 seasons of Criminal Minds. Possibly, possibly. Right. Okay. Then there's a knock on the door and busting a character who I feel like I'm going to love, AJ. This is Matthew Gray Goobler. I'm yep. hoping I pronounced that right. Well, yep, we'll go with it. <laughs> uh, he plays Dr. Spencer Reed. He bursts into the room and, and points at some folders in his hands. And, and Mandy Patinkin, because he's Mandy Patinkin, knows he can just leave the class at any time because he's the man. So he just says, excuse me, and bounces and, and leaves. Uh, yeah, we cut- uh, well, you know, he's he's clearly the the type A personality, and 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 uh, even if he wasn't the head honcho, he's certainly acting as if he's the head honcho. So he's going to demand that diva treatment there, uh, as uh, Doctor Sheldon, I mean Spencer Reed, comes on in to. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I like that. I also think I, when I hear Doctor Reed, I I think of Scrubs, which of course is a completely entirely different. Uh, Dr. Reed, Sarah Shop Chalk. Yes, uh, and I think uh, totally a little bit of a different show. <laughs> yes, completely. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we cut to the hallway, and, and Dr. Reed and Gideon are talking about this case in Seattle, and there, uh, and Reed says they're calling him the Seattle Strangler. Four victims in four months. He keeps them alive for seven days, and uh, he's pointing at a picture, and there's apparently a, some kind of handle in there. And he says this handle serves as a crank. And Gideon says, uh, yeah, that allows him to control the rate of suffocation. Um, <laughs> and and <laughs> Dr. Reed says to prolong it. And this gives us the chance for Patinkin to Patinkin his way into the line to enjoy it. Love it. <laughs> I love it, AJ. It's to enjoy it. So the Seattle police, they don't know what's up. And the Seattle FBI office, they don't know what's up. There's no physical evidence. There's no leads. And another another girl is missing. Gideon says he'll look at the file and get back to him at ASAP. And then out of nowhere, Hotchner comes in the room. And he's all, you're going to be with in Seattle with us, ASAP, my homie. We're getting the team uh, together. Avengers yeah. assemble. <laughs> my man, Shamar, is there, too, for some reason. All of a sudden, they, they all disappear. And... uh. He hands Mandy a picture of the 22-year-old Heather Woodland, and he says this is the latest victim. Hotchner says before the victim left, she downloaded a, a booby-trapped email, which has wiped her hard drive clean. And there's a note on the screen, and the note says, for heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. It just says that over and over with no punctuation. For heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. He's typed the same thing over and over again. I think we can give a profile on the unsub. He lives in a hotel, the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. He's a writer. <laughs> He's there with his wife and his young son. Red rum, red rum. <laughs> it might as well be, but no. You know what? Gideon, no, 
is familiar with that that statement. It rings a bell to him because he goes over to his wall and there's a picture on the wall and it says uh, the picture is labeled. It says William Hirons, the lipstick killer, 1945. And in the picture, you see Jack Nicholson. And he's always been the caretaker there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And apparently Jack wrote on the wall in lipstick that exact same phrase that was that was uh, on the computer screen. So uh, my man T. Gibbs says, "Okay, we have fewer than 36 hours to find her because they always last seven days. So it's been such and such amount of time. So they're able to do that math. And I feel like even with my math skills, I could I kept up with that. That little change there. And uh, Shamar says in in the television world of minutes to hours, they probably about 36 minutes to find her because yeah, you know that's exactly. how an episode works yeah yeah right. so uh shamar says they want you back in the in the saddle patinkin are you ready and uh so mandy says hey we better get started and credits well credits is is a bit of a yeah. understatement for this episode this is the pilot um we see you know criminal minds come up and that's pretty much yeah. it uh there will be a theme song to the show and an opening credit wow. sequence going forward. Uh, but uh, for this one, nope, it's just Criminal Minds, let's keep going. <laughs> it's it's pretty much a silent yeah. bumper. Yeah. Um, I'm your silent bumper. Bumper for Mandy. <laughs> I can't believe we've we've been going this long and we just got to the to the first part, the, the opening uh, credits. Well, you know, but, you, you had to meet all the characters and uh, we said yes. that... Uh, another character or two along the way but you know you know hey it's the intro it's the setup and everything i think once the case gets going surely things are going to speed up a little bit of course momentum momentum of course now so you sort of told me about this before i started watching the show but i even if you hadn't have told me i knew within after watching this episodes we were going to have a lot of quotes aj yeah, a lot of voiceover quotes. Um, apparently do, from Mandy. They do like it, yes. <laughs> apparently from Mandy Patinkin. So we start off the next scene with the quote, and uh, it is Joseph Conrad said, "The belief in a supernatural source of evil is not necessary. Men alone are quite capable of every wickedness." Mm. Sounds like those men have criminal minds. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, that's what I'm talking about. Now we cut to, I guess the team is like going into some kind of private airfield or something. It's kind of hard to tell where exactly there are. Yeah, it, it's not explained very much. We, you know, they, they have their own jet to get them because uh, these these uh, cases are going to come from all over these great United States. And uh, this is not a local based thing where we're going to get bored seeing the same three city streets dressed up over and over again as the same city. Uh, <laughs> no, they're going to dress the same three streets up as different cities. So they need Do they have again. a name for the jet? Like, I'm not like going the... to spoil these things. I mean, what would you name the jet? I don't know. Like. The B A U jet. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, sure. maybe something more clever than that. Uh, okay. How about the Mark Sanchez? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Four jets. New York Jets. I tried oh. to think of a better Jets quarterback, but it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so uh, so the team is uh, arriving at at different uh, at di- in different cars. And there's some woman that's walking along with uh, Thomas Gibson, and, and 
Uh, I don't know if we ever really know who exactly she is, but basically she's telling him that he needs to keep an eye on Gideon. They want to know that uh, my boy Hotch will step in in case Gideon ain't up to fluff, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, he's been gone uh, since Boston, whatever happened there. So they're worried about him. And clearly, uh, so is uh, Derek Morgan, Shamar Moore. So So definitely, we got to keep an eye on him. So they get on to to the private plane. Dr. Reed is reading the details of the case to the crew. We cut to poor Heather, who's at this point in some dark room in a small cage. She's tied up and she has duct tape around her eyes. And she she reaches toward that tape. And we hear a really evil say, what did I tell you about the tape? And then so she drops her hands right away and he he bangs on the cage and she starts screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she tries to fight him off, and he proceeds to give her a manicure. <laughs> mm, mm, kidnapped victims lead the interesting lives. <laughs> I mean, give a manicure sounds a little too delicate. I mean, he's basically using, like, pliers and snipping her. <laughs> and pulling those fingernails off. It doesn't look... It doesn't look like a nice little Manny Petty yeah. situation <laughs> happening here. So that's the thing, I guess, with the killer. That's the, we still don't see who anybody is. Nope. It's really hard to even tell where they are. But that's that scene. All it's right. History that keeps on giving. <laughs> so now we are we follow our team, our, our team of intrepid agents, and they're uh, going to some. I'm assuming it's an FBI affiliate in in Seattle. And Reed and Hotchner and Morgan. I noticed this a lot this episode. <laughs> They're standing about 10 feet away from the guy talking smack about him. What I feel like is clearly a distance that everything that they're saying can be heard. I know this is a TV convention. I know we see this where, oh, we just sort of step to the side. But this always bugs me. Like, it, it goes somewhere private. You know, like, have that conversation elsewhere. You don't need to have it 10 feet away from the person you're talking about. True, true, but I think we do notice uh, throughout the course of this that when Gideon gets that that stare and his mind starts working as he tries to uh, become the criminal himself to try and suss it out, that he really it's a tunnel. He doesn't he doesn't hear anything. He's so not seeing it. They don't yeah. really need to to give him that much space. But yeah, you definitely get the feeling that this show was booked as, uh, hey, Mandy, come on, do the show. This is your show, and everybody else is your little underling. This is the Mandy Patinkin show. Uh, it does not stay that way for okay. long. I mean, this does become a team, and all everybody you know has their moments. But certainly for the pilot, they certainly filmed it as if this was Jason Gideon on patrol. <laughs> yeah, and if if it wasn't called Criminal Minds, if it was called Jason Gideon or the Mandy Patinkin show, which I think I would have even loved more. That would be a different things, but no, it's criminal minds. Anyway, they're sitting there talking about Gideon and and Shamara saying, man, he, he never has his, his back to the window. And uh, when I walked between him and the doorway, he met, asked me to move out the way. And, and Dr. Reed is like, hey, it's just hypervigilance. It's, it's not uncommon in PS, PTSD. And Hotchner, he's just like, hey, Morgan, it's been six months. Everything's fine. Basically his response. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So. Let it go. Let it go. You weren't even there. Yeah, you don't. Come on. So uh, then we cut to, I guess, the Seattle team. Our team is addressing the Seattle team. And uh, Hotch is introducing everybody. He's, you know, here's uh, Special Agent Gideon, here's Special Agent Morgan, who's our expert on obsessional crimes. And uh, 
Special Agent Reed, which immediately Gideon's like, that's Dr. Reed. Sort of shouts it out, Dr. Reed. And Hotch corrects himself. He says, uh, Dr. Reed, who's our expert on, well, everything. Um, and then they start discussing the case, which is kind of a information dump here. Um, yeah, I actually, when I was taking notes, I just wrote at this point, gobbledygook and mumbo jumbo. <laughs> yes. It's just a lot of background stuff that means crap doodly squat. <laughs> I kind of wish I took my notes like you did, because I was trying to, trying to <laughs> go over these details. We got things like, he's willing to travel with the body, which means he drives a, a vehicle that's capable of concealing one. And then Dr. Reed pump jumps in, you know, one in 7.4 drivers in Seattle owns an SUV, as if that's a common fact that everybody knows. But, you no, know, Dr. He's their Reed expert on everything. <laughs> he's their expert on everything. And so they start even trying to guess the car. Oh, oh they, like explorers. Or, uh, no, no, that's too feminine. Oh, everything. They just gobbledygook, as we said. Meanwhile, at this time, uh, Gideon is studying all the crime scene clippings and maps and pictures that is sort of typical of shows like these that you see on the wall and he's studying them and he's, he's completely engrossed by them. And we cross cut between all of them and we see each victim so far four victims and, and we see their pictures. At that point, uh, the Seattle agent ask is asking, uh, and the Seattle agent, by the way, I thought for sure this was the guy who was in that Dharma initiative video uh, <laughs> no, it's not Marvin uh, Candle. No. <laughs> yeah, no, there was Do- Dr. Percy something or the very first, the very first one, not Marvin Candle, but the guy looked similar to. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, I looked it up and it, it it wasn't. So sorry, folks, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I thought we had a very important sort of casting of a lost person, which I will always point out. Even in this episode, <laughs> um, when we see someone from Lost. Very good. Uh, anyway, the guy says, uh, so when did the FBI become involved with this? And uh, they say, well, you know, we became involved when he dumped the fourth body out of state on purpose, which suggests the killer is familiar with the techniques of law enforcement officials. They're going on and on. And Reed says this suggests the knowledge of law enforcement and Shamar points out or he watches TV. <laughs> I liked that little little tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. Little line. They don't want to they don't want to get a suspect list from the guys in Seattle until they do their profile because they want to prove how smart they are. <laughs> I'm sorry, they want to remain unbiased. They don't want to be tainted by previous investigations, fresh eyes, fresh eyes. Clear hearts can't lose. <laughs> So basically they want to know, you know, uh, when are we going to have our our big meeting to discuss all of this? And they're like, four o'clock. And Shamar's like, today? And Gideon, <laughs> and Gideon is like, hey, not a problem, basically. Gideon is ready to go. Gideon is all about that. Yeah, you can see the antagonist uh, relationship here going on between the two of them. Just just <laughs> from the get-go is like, what? <laughs> So they ask they ask Gideon where where he wants to start as they're doing this profiling and he says at the site of the last murder and then they do this very cool shot of him pointing at the photo up on the wall and then the camera zooms into the photo and then you see that Gideon is at the site walking 
to the through the site at that point. I, I'm I'm glad you said that this is a cool shot because they're very proud of this shot. And this kind of transition, you know, it's not like uh, the star wipes of the olden days. They're like, oh, we got a transition here. Oh, we'll count how many times they decide to use this trick. And it <laughs> it loses its cool factor uh, the more they use it. But I will yes, in this first episode, it, it is kind of cool the first time you see. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I could see that how that could get old when you could just start doing it all the time. But I mean, just cut this off, please. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing 300 shows, <laughs> I imagine it's you. You want to go back to your old bag of tricks, sure, I sure, guess. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, then we have Gideon at the location, and now again, Morgan, my boy, <laughs> is like 10 feet behind him. <laughs> all right, talking with the, the a local Seattle policeman. And he's talking smack about Gideon, like 10 feet away. Once again, the cops says, uh, hey, that's Gideon, right? That's the one who caught that guy. Adrian Adrian Bell in Boston. Adrian Bell, you know, Gideon caught that guy. And Morgan's like, yeah, that's him. But catching him cost us six agents. I'm like, Morgan, we get it. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> just slow your roll. You, you don't, you're, not, you're not all about Gideon at this point. Yeah, you may have popped a shit cork on your champagne that day, celebrated with your friends, but I know six people who weren't celebrating with their friends anymore because they was dead. <laughs> so uh, bits and pieces of Boston, though, are slowly coming into into uh, focus. We know Gideon caught somebody named Adrian. Adrian Bell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, six six agents died that day. Yeah, so, it seems like it might be important at some point. It was, it was some kind of trauma that might set up some sort of stress disorder. Me? Uh, this this crime scene, by the way, appears to be like under some kind of highway or something. I don't I don't know exactly what you call it. Yeah, it looks it's, like it's like a like a, an under an, an underpass or an, an overpass, and they're underneath the overpass. Like uh, yeah, like Dumbo in New York City, except this is Seattle, so I'm sure they don't call it that there. <laughs> Unless they have a Manhattan Bridge overpass there, but so yeah, they're they're in some dirty area. Is just how I labeled it, <laughs> some dirty area. And that's fine. That's, that's you know you you will learn. I, I I love your enthusiasm and how how you're really getting into the nitty and the gritty because because uh, you don't know what's gonna happen. You know yes. you don't know. Uh, you know you're you're just pulling everything. You know once you get into the routine of the show and start to feel the beats, I think you're just gonna say yeah. Dirty dump site. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let's move on. Um, yeah, I'm totally into it. And and uh, yeah, this probably the our our episodes would probably start off longer and <laughs> get progressively totally shorter. Understandable. It's absolutely that's that's how you get a feel for it. You they don't know what they're doing quite yet and what's going to work and what's not and and neither do we. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, this is working right. <laughs> anyway. So they're in some dirty area, and Gideon is surveying around. And sort of, it's weird this this other shot because it's like he he's placing himself in the scene, sort of, and you can hear a woman screaming, but you know you're just hearing what's in Gideon's mind at that point. We're not actually, you know, there's nobody actually screaming. This is this is the 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 mind, the criminal mind, exactly. but the criminal catching mind of of Gideon, Gideon that we're hearing. Tries to picture what the 
criminal might be thinking and getting inside his head and putting himself in the scene and that that's that's his methodology that's yeah. that's his uh his sherlock holmesian uh quirk so uh yeah we get we get a little bit of insight there as as that happens then um Morgan comes up to him and says, uh, we had a, a victim here that was found right here. She had her nails clipped just like the others. It is like he wants them to fight back. Or Shamar says he wants them to fight back. And Gideon's like, yeah, but not enough to hurt him. And then they start talking about the belt around her neck. And um, Gideon, again, all of a sudden just jumps to, well, he's probably in his early 20s. <laughs> and Shamar's like, what? <laughs> what? 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 What you saying? And, uh, you, you know, you you want to take the profiler seriously, and and I think we'll, we'll, we will get into this later on. Uh, I think one of the things that we're going to be tracking as far as one of these sh- as the shows go on is how effective actually are they? Like, does all this work, or is it all just a lot of good luck and lucky guessing? Because that's certainly how it seems right now, certainly to Morgan. Yeah, uh, and to Kintad at, at this point, but <laughs> we'll see what happens because uh, his. His his reasoning for the early 20s comment is, oh, this just screams youthful arrogance. <laughs> Does it? Does it scream youthful arrogance? OK. All right. I thought it screamed let me go in his head right there. But maybe <laughs> I just heard uh, wrong. <laughs> so uh, they go on a little bit about that spot. And I will skip over. I, I wrote I wrote down too much gobbledygook in my notes. So I'm going to sort of skip forward a little bit. That is gobbledygook yet. You don't have the 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 gobbledygook radar just yet. <laughs> All right. Well, some important things that may or may not have come out of that is that the killer was clothing the bodies before dumping them, and this sort of indicated a sign of remorse. But at the same time, his opinion of women is that they're disposable. And so why are we showing them this respect and dumping them here? There's some sort of weird dichotomy and how this killer is behaving there's two different sort of uh ideas at work here it reminds me of that monty python sketch where the movie producer comes in and says are you with me yes or no and the first guy says yes and he says yes i don't want any yes men around here you're fired and then the next guy <laughs> says no and he goes no you don't agree with me you're fired and then he asks the third guy the third guy's like yes but possibly no but i am not being indecisive <laughs> Oh, classic. Anyway, so uh, next we go to uh, Reed and Hotch. They're at, at somebody's house, and we go, I guess this is our victim's house, but we, I don't. I didn't really pick up on that right away, but that's yeah. where they're at. Yeah, they're, they're investigating the most recent victim's house, and uh, we, we come to learn that uh, that uh, this is her house, This is she, her dog is there, and uh, I think this was her brother who uh, sometimes walks the dog when she's uh, out of town, and well, she, she's out of town, so he's there watching yes. the dog. There, the dog is there barking, and Hotch is like, "Hey, don't worry about it. This is just what we call the Reed effect because it's Doctor Reed. Even even kids act that way around Doctor Reed. So we're cutting him a little low there. Yeah, and uh, but you know he's done with he's doing it with good humor, and I think there's there's yeah. two things that we uh, that uh, we should probably track going forward. It is do they stick with this original? For any of the, our main characters, do their personalities, how long do they stay in these tracks? Does this read effect actually exist, or does it just exist with the pilot? I think that's something that would be interesting to, to track. And also, uh, uh, I mean, this is probably the third joke Hotch has made this episode. 
Um, yeah. If I were to give you a ballpark figure, the number of jokes he gives over the course of the entire series, I don't know that we'll reach double digits. So. Wow. <laughs> Really? Because he well, seems full of humor. I, yeah, I know. Point. Let's uh, well, just, uh, just uh, something uh, to throw out there. I'm not, I'm not spoiling stuff, but I am going to plant seeds. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. This is interesting. So, um, anyway, he introduces himself to the brother and, and Doctor Reed, and 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 uh, the brothers like, oh, this guy looks too young to have gone to med school. And Reed is all, I have PhDs, three of them. And then the guy's like, well, what are you, some kind of genius or something? Just joking around, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. And uh, our boy, Dr. Reed, says, I don't believe that intelligence can be accurately quantified, but I do have an IQ of 187, an eidactic memory, and can read 20,000 words per minute. Yes, I'm a genius. <laughs> uh, I am not doing I know I was bragging about my acting skills, but I'm not doing it justice. I, I, I think uh, uh, our, our boy, Matthew... Uh, Ray Goobler. I have yes. Been out. Yes. Pretty soon it's going to be just spouting out Goobler, the tongue. Yep. But right now, just kind of getting used to it. He's doing. He does a fine job with that that line and that. Yeah, cell. he's just he's always he's always talking this little you know he's because he's like like he's a little kid in front of all these guys. He's just really go. He's got to defend himself. So he's just like you know I actually have an IQ of 184 and I have an eidetic memory and like okay oh, yeah yes I'm a genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he, he's realizing that he's he's gone a bit too far there. <laughs> The guys had his brother, David, as we said, he feeds the dog away, but like the dog is upset and they decide it's because he knows because he can smell endorphins or something. I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact. I didn't write down the exact, but we'll the dog this knows something's medical up. Medical gobbledygook. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some of that. Medical gobbledygook. And um, Reed, Dr. Reed sees a, a Dotson magazine and uh, realizes that maybe there's something. He asks if she's into that car, and the brother says, oh, well, she was in the market for one. And from there, the two figure out there is some kind of level of trust between a, a, someone selling in a car and their buyer. And if you wanted to coax a one, young woman into your car, Hotch is all, offer her a test drive. So they, they figure that one out. Boom. It, it's, it's kind of funny because you, you see two things in that scene. One is the... Uh, they, they're almost pointing out playfully that they realize that uh, a lot of what Gideon is doing sounds preposterous. Like, oh, where did you come up with that? So Reed says to the brother, was she interested in, 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 in a Z car? And, and he's like, yeah, how'd you know? And then he holds up the magazine yes. <laughs> because the magazine here is a Z car. It's like it's got circles on it. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so I do like the fact that they're able to poke fun of the fact like you, you, it's, it's not profiling. It's like. It, there's a magazine yeah, here. There's something but here. But at that, the same time, then it's like, yes, it's got to be a test drive. <laughs> yeah. We've like, got to move the plot along. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now we cut back to the office again, and the guys are talking about things like there's duct tape, you mean news, what does this mean, yada, yada, yada. And uh, Gideon is, he's elsewhere at this point again. He's This dude is always in his head, apparently, <laughs> so far, from what I can tell. He's uh, transfixed on this big monitor in front of him that's, again, flashing all the crime. De- like, they had it on the wall before, but now we're going to computerize it and put it all on a big monitor <laughs> instead of just on the wall so that it can just move by. And <laughs> I don't really get the point of that. Well, he can absorb it quicker. <laughs> he can loosen himself a bit more. I don't know. I do li- I do like the fact that they have uh, Reed spinning in his chair like a, like a child to just further uh, accentuate yes. his youthfulness. And <laughs> Uh, that's a kind of uh, yeah. interesting. They really infantilize him a lot. 
<laughs> in these early episodes. He's young. We get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he looks like I used to look when I was like waiting for my parents at the bank and I'd be sitting in a, in a chair just like, oh, mm-hmm. God, I, I can't take this. And Morgan's there tossing a baseball up and down in the air. Yes. Like, you know, like, again, a, a kind of a youthful thing, but the old man who's seen it all is yeah. lost in thought. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, Gideon's Gideon's like, all right, that's enough. Let's tell him we're ready. And again, Morgan's like, what? <laughs> I see I see a pattern form here between uh, uh, Morgan and, and uh, Gideon. And Gideon walks out the room and Morgan's back to his usual, you know, smack talking self, asking Reed, you know, hey, hey, are you are you good with this? We got a woman with only a few hours left to live, an incomplete profile and a unit chief on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And of course, that's when Mandy walks right back in the room and hears that last part. He grabs a donut or something. I don't know why he walked back in the room, what excuse they gave him. But he, he walked back in there and says, uh, they don't call him nervous breakdowns anymore. And then he just turns around and walks back out. And then, of course, Reed has to chime in with it. It's called a major depressive episode. And my man Shamar is like, I know, Reed, I know, I got you. Uh, it was a cute it's good. There's, there's, there's humor. There, there's, there's death. There's murder. There's, there's cruelty. There's torture. There's uh, horribleness of the human condition, and, and there's humor. So it balances, sorta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm liking it. I'm liking it so far. So now I guess this is the four o'clock meeting that we were discussing before the uh, the big yep. powwow, uh, where where Gideon has to speechify in front of everybody and and sort of tell them what our our profile is. I'm assuming we're gonna have one of these. About 300 more times. Yeah, it's it's crime happens. BAU gets the case. BAU flies to the case. BAU gives the profile, and then BAU tries to act on the profile. Whether or not it works or not, that's where the, that's where the the variance comes in. Excellent. So uh, he goes on and gives the profile. He he says uh, the unknown subject is white, in his late 20s which kind of goes away from his early 20s remark earlier, but okay. It's later in the day. Yeah. (laughs) He's aged. (laughs) Um, And he says, someone you wouldn't notice first and someone who would blend into any crowd. And again, I I, I guess maybe this is something that I'll get sick of later, but for now I enjoy it. And they do a nice little camera thing where we see, uh Gideon as if he's out there in the Seattle streets and you see someone that sort of matches the description of the profile uh turn around and stare at Gideon like oh you got me you know this is just <laughs> like in the middle of a crowd he, he turns and spots Gideon and then that and this sort of background action is happening while Gideon is going through the whole profile so we see different sort of scenes within that profile yeah i mean this is episode one this this they don't know exactly where they have to emphasize the points they're trying to over explain things for their audience uh remember this is cbs (laughs) the older demographic they sometimes need their hand held a little bit to walk them through the premise of these things and so it's pretty boring to just see gideon talking to a group of people uh, for for five minutes, but uh, you dissolve them in and out of that scene and into an ad and dissolve them into another thing and dissolve them there. So it's at least visually interesting to get through the fact that he's delivering a profile that uh, we've kind of heard all the parts of it up until now. Now it's yeah. just like putting it all in one big package. Yeah. So I'll just go over that package real quickly just to make sure I've covered everything. 
because again, I don't know what's important here. So he says the violent nature of the crime suggests we this killer has a previous criminal record, uh, petty crimes, maybe auto theft. <laughs> We've classified him as an organized killer. He's careful. He's psychopathic as opposed to psychotic. Uh, he follows the news. He has good hygiene. He's smart. The only physical evidence is what he wants you to find. Um, and when he's saying this, we're seeing in the background the criminal at that that dirty area that we saw before planting whatever evidence he wants us to find. He's he's mobile. His car is in good condition. Condition. Our guess is it's a Jeep Cherokee with tinted windows. Um, the murderer the murders have all involved rapes, but without penetration, which is a form of peakerism. Mm-hmm. Peakerism. Get used to it. Which I'll have to look up. Uh, and that tells us that he's sexually inadequate. He had uh, childhood drama, trauma, <laughs> the death of a parent or family member. And then we see like a little funeral scene in the background with a little kid that I'm assuming is our criminal looking at, at the camera. And, oh, uh, so sad. Yeah. And now uh, this guy feels persecuted and watched. Murder gives him a sense of power. He has a fascination with the law enforcement, and he will inject himself into the himself into the investigation, and then he'll come forward as a witness, which is why I know this is Gideon saying, which is why I know you have already interviewed him. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> it was a great moment. He, you know, he he, and it's interesting because he does contradict. Uh, he contradicts Reed a little bit in, in that profile because didn't Reed and Hotch discover that, uh, you know, about the Z car and like, uh, but now is a Jeep. Does he have two cars? Like it doesn't yeah. seem to fit with all the evidence we have really. But then again, he can get in, wasn't listening to anybody else. He was just staring at pictures, <laughs> making yeah. a decision. So not hardly yeah. a team effort. It does seem like we're missing part of the picture here. Something does seem a little off. That's that's a good point. And I'm saying that like I don't know what happens, but I did actually watch the whole episode. That was so. great acting, though. I did. That was good. That was good. <laughs> so uh, after that uh, classic line read from Mandy, we, we cut to a woman that's going up to a house. Uh, she knocks on the door. An elderly woman uh, answers the door that she has one, some kind of, uh, you know, those oxygen tube oxygen tubes going into her nose to help her assist with her breathing. Uh, so uh, you sort of get the idea of, of what her character is, who she yeah, is. We're, we're going to eliminate her as a suspect. <laughs> well, you may. <laughs> I, I, I don't anyway, think she's the 20, 20 year old guy who's <laughs> okay. getting around town. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I agreed. She doesn't fit the profile. <laughs> So this woman answers the door to this other woman that we don't know who this is yet. This other woman explains she's house sitting right down the street. When she got there, the door was wide open and all the lights were were cut off. And uh, she's scared and she feels kind of dumb asking, but is there anybody there that could take a look at the house with her? Uh, So the old lady turns around and screams for someone named Richard, Uh, says, Richard, get down here. And we cut to Richard walking with the young woman back to the house. And it's one of those that guys, <laughs> one of those guys who appears in a lot of stuff, AJ, who yes, he does. is is Richard Slessman. Uh, we're talking about one DJ Qualls, who uh, also appeared as Hurley's buddy, I believe, in in Lost. Yes, um, yes. He's definitely in an every, I believe in Everybody Loves Hugo. Yeah. Everybody, or maybe yeah. Everybody Hates Hugo. There were, but it was one of those two episodes. One yeah. of those. Yeah. yeah. And he's in a lot of stuff. There was... Uh, 
Uh, we could get we could go into the IMDb of this guy. Basically, you probably know who this guy is. Kind of a spindly looking fellow who shows up in a lot of stuff. Indeed. He's usually uh, I find that he usually plays sort of sympathetic uh, characters. Did you uh, say sympathetic that nerd type characters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, certainly because of his uh, lack of uh, girth. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, his character's name is Richard Slesman. And he's going with the young lady back to her house to help her check it out. Uh, they go into the house with a flashlight and they walk through. And it's a setup. FBI burst out. Laser pointers pointing guns at the guy. Freeze. They throw him on the ground. Start Free to arrest him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start to arrest him. And it turns out that the uh, woman that asked for the help apparently is an FBI agent. DJ Qualls, a.k.a. Richard Sessman. He's under arrest. Now, were you fooled by this ruse? Did you think this was like just some innocent woman or did you think that uh, something else was going on there? I'll be honest. I didn't it didn't shock me that it was a ruse, but I didn't guess it right away. Like I didn't (laughs) guess it, but I don't feel like I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't even really thinking about it. I was just sort of going along with the plot. Fair, because, you know, up, un- up until now, you know, uh, apparently, if you're not a woman, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, all, all the members of the BIU are, women, are, not, are men. You know, women aren't, aren't allowed as a He-Man Woman Haters Club so far. We haven't seen any female agents. So yeah, it was so ni- we- it's nice to see that he, even though, as we will learn in the next scene, that she's not quite a member of the BAU, but at least right. she's, she's an agent with agency. Right. She is she someone agency, that- and she's in the agency. She, she is someone that we have to pay attention to. And so Gideon is there, actually. He was there for the whole operation. He walks walks in, and, and DJ's still on the ground getting arrested. But he looks up and sees Gideon, and then he gives him sort of that knowing smile, like, yeah, I know who you are. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. It's almost, like he's, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like he's happy to see Gideon. He knows and recognizes Gideon. Gideon uh, is afoot. <laughs> yeah. It's quote time once again. All of a sudden, uh, we get the uh, Potemkin voiceover. He says, Emerson said, all is riddle, and the key to a riddle is another riddle. Mm. <laughs> I guess that means, uh, if, you're, if you're reading into some sort of a parallel meaning, that, uh, hey, we solved the riddle, uh, we got our guy, but we still don't know nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You've sussed it out, AJ. Uh, I'm, so, I'm uh, quite the uh, – <laughs> I'm with the uh, Literary Analysis Unit, <laughs> the LAU. The LAU. G-H-I-N-G. <laughs> so, uh, so they start to search the house now. They're apparently looking for the girl, Heather, still, still – apparently she's still in danger here. And uh, Gideon asks – if the uh, older lady was the mother and the lady cop from before that we haven't really met yet says, oh, no, it's the grandmother. The mother died in a fire when he was a boy. Mm-hmm. Check. <laughs> it's the profile. Uh, and, and Gideon's like, I, I bet that wasn't the only fire in his childhood. But as far as I know, we don't really go back to his childhood and see if that was the only fire. No, we don't. But, you know, it's it's again, it's uh, Gideon knows all in Gideon's own mind and can't really be wrong. So <laughs> he's going to justify, justify, justify. Yeah. So we get our proper introduction at this point to to said uh, lady. And it turns out this is uh, 
Elle Greenway, played by the lovely Lola Gloadini, who I don't really recognize from anything. She she might have been around in some things, but yeah, not 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 really. Uh, none of the people on this show uh, really are known quantities when when the show started, and you know a lot of them stayed here. So <laughs> yeah, they're now now they're going to be known for this show. So yeah, yeah. So uh, Elle tells a uh, uh, apparently Elle is the one that actually had the whole idea for this sting operation and set the whole thing up. And um, they're sort of asking her how, what she wants to go about, how that, how they want to go about uh, proceeding from there. And Elle, Elle tells Gideon she wants Hotch to lead the questioning. And then there's this weirdly weird comment from Morgan, which I still didn't really get exactly why he made it. But sort of, sort of Gideon sort of walks away and, and Morgan says to her, next time – you need to show him a little leg. <laughs> okay. Well, and, you know, it, it has been about 30 minutes at this point since we've uh, been beaten over the head with the fact that Morgan is a player. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're going to get a little, a little flirty flirty. That seemed at the moment like a just out of the, out of the blue comment. But apparently, I think these two characters know each other. Yeah, and there seems to be a little bit of familiarity here. Absolutely. That that she didn't immediately uh, uh, say, "Uh, all right, I'm going to be filling out some paperwork. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She didn't go to HR. In fact, she had a nice little comeback about next time he'll see a little leg from her is when she's about to kick his ass. So that was, you know. She can handle herself. This yeah. is what we're learning here. She can handle herself. And, uh, you know, she basically comes out and says, I, I really want to work with the BAU, and I know you have an opening. Uh, maybe this is my in here. So, uh, well, I mean, I, I think uh, a four-man unit seems a bit sparse to me, but... Yeah, but there there's a place for her. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see how the case goes. Yeah, let's see. She does ask for his advice as far as getting into the BAU, and he's just like, Trust your instincts. No, thank you. Morgan, thanks for that. That top notch. <laughs> it's right here in my book. Morgan's Book of Platitudes and Empty Commentary. Uh, thank you. I will trust my instincts. Although maybe that'll come back. Who knows? You know, if you believe in yourself, Elle, <laughs> all things are possible. <laughs> Might I interest you in Scientology? <laughs> uh, boy, oh boy. Meanwhile, we cut to um, Hotch and Gideon. And they're, they're in Slesman's garage, and it, of course it turns out they got the car exact exactly right. They have the car, they so that that was true. Check. But they're real, yeah. Check. But they, 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 Gideon knows they're missing something. All the all the facts don't seem to be adding up. Um, so something's not right. Also, um, Morgan is back inside the house at this point, and he also thinks something isn't right. Because he says, I'm, I'm looking at a boy's bedroom, not a man's. At the same time, we see Green, Greenway start to go up into the attic. And then we cut to some cops. They're at a computer that's in, in Slesman's room. <laughs> so these cops, these rando, I would call them red shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Except for, you know, you know. Blue shirts. <laughs> blue shirts. Yeah. They're not going to get killed. Flunkies. These are, these are definitely flunkies. They apparently grab a, a post-it or something that's right by the computer with the password and go, hey, this is the password. And they put it in the computer. And, of course, we get that last second warning from Morgan, who knows all. Uh, no. And so they put in the password and the computer locks up immediately. There's some kind of encryption program on there. We've basically got 
six attempts at the password. Otherwise, this c- computer is fried. And they think there's some important evidence on this computer. Yeah, and this is where we get uh, pretty much the episodes over explaining for no apparent reason here when she goes, oh, what does the number six at the bottom of the screen mean, Morgan? Well, that means that we have only six attempts to try the password before it erases itself. Then we'll never get the information. Wow. So that's what that number six means. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating too much, but that's, that's the over no, explanation for the older viewers. They really, they really nailed it home. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> that means we better be very careful about putting in passwords. For we only have how many attempts? Six. Six, yes. So we we cut back to Greenway, who's finally arrived in the attic at this point. And uh, also in the attic, Reed and Gideon, and they're staring at a game of Go, which Reed lets us know is called Wei Chi in China. Uh, thank you, Reed, for that. Uh, and uh, it's the most difficult board game ever, and it appears that he's playing himself because it's on a... I don't mean to be a derogatory, but we call these lazy Susan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So he could spin around and, and do the moves. Um, better, better than a talking Karen. Oh, I kid. I kid. Uh, but uh, yeah, and again, it's, 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 oh, what is this game? This strange game that everybody, it's Go. It's the most popular game in the world. Like, even yeah. if you don't know how to play Go, I think you'd probably recognize it as being Go. But yes. You know. So then Reed starts going up because, again, he knows everything. He starts going over the different types of players in the game and you know oh you got somebody who can be passive defensive whatever you have and they have someone who can be an aggressor and blah 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 and uh that gives hotch the opportunity to ask what kind of what kind of player does he think slesman is and uh he says extreme aggressor episode title boop, 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 boop. yes I'm wondering if we're going to get episode title uh, sort of said by a character in every episode, or... We'll just it, have to track it and see. Yeah, we'll have to see. I I don't know about this episode, episode title, for as far as episode titles go. It makes me think of some kind of, like, I don't know, weird wrestling thing. I, it, it, <laughs> I don't know. I I just... Uh, but, okay, I'll, I'll roll with it. There's the episode title. Here we go. There it is. There it is. Exactly. I don't know how we can release this tell that from just looking at a board where the guy's playing himself, but okay, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. a, a, a million different combinations could have gotten to this position, but I know. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we're back back in the bedroom with the hard drive, and uh, uh, they explain uh, yet again, I think. I think this is another time we get told, okay, we got six tries. Very important. To, to get into this hard drive. Gideon, this is I'm counting this as a quote because the show has so many quotes and, it's a and mini quote off, yeah. Yeah, it's a little quote off because Gideon says, "Try again, fail again, fail better." And then Reed chimes in. He gets to source the quote. He says, "Samuel Beckett." And then Morgan says, uh, "Try not, do or do not." And Reed and the whole world, but Gideon apparently knows that that's a quote from Yoda. And so Reed, that's Yoda. Yeah, well, it just goes, you know, Reed, Reed uh, exists as the straddle between both worlds. He understands uh, old man Gideon because clearly we, we've learned Morgan and Gideon are not on the same page. So uh, this is a way to uh, bridge that gap, perhaps, through the shared, quote, <laughs> symmetry of sorts. Yeah. Or it's just a way to get two more quotes in. <laughs> yeah. 
I think they love. I think the writers want to get as many quotes as possible. I think when Jeff Davis created this show, he said, "I want to do a show about quotes." <laughs> then we can wrap some other stuff around it. And I uh, want to name one of my main characters Bartlett. I'm sorry, sir. The West Wing is already doing that. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> so Gideon sees that Slesman has uh, one of his own papers, apparently. So he decides to go bust a move and talk to DJ Qualls. Uh, so we cut to him interrogating him, and he asks him if he's learned anything from his papers. And, and Slesman gets into the quote game himself. Because we're not done with the quotes, AJ. No, no, we're not. But the quote here, the name may sound familiar to you. Because what he says is, Hirons said a man living inside of his head was the one who committed the murders. (laughs) And then I said, wait a minute, this isn't – who was Hirons? I didn't remember that this was – I'm thinking Hirons is some old philosopher. I forgot about the picture earlier (laughs) On sure, the episode. It's the, it's the guy from 1945. <laughs> yes. It's the guy, the lipstick killer, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, Richard, DJ Qualls, says, you know, oh, I'm not a fan of murderers. I'm a fan of yours, Gideon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm your this... biggest fan. And then he hobbles them with them. No, but <laughs> he's just, he's a big fan. So he's he's, you know, he's like, Gideon is doing the staring at, at DJ Qualls, and DJ Qualls is staring back at him, and they're just doing this like kind of like, ooh, I'm trying to suss you out. Ooh, you're never going to suss me out. And they keep sh- showing this stuff around the room, and this like needlepoint with like, you know, oh, the little God blesses the good little boys. And then there's like a cookie jar, like only the good boys get cookies. And I'm thinking, <laughs> and I don't know if you're thinking about this, but the first time I'm watching this episode, I'm thinking, the password to the computer has got to be good boy, doesn't good it? Good boy. I thought that. I thought it was going to be something to do with that. I didn't think yeah. specifically good boy, but like something kind of but it's childish. completely irrelevant. <laughs> it's yeah. like red herring means nothing. But again, yeah. it's like, you think, it, it just, why show it then? But I guess, you know, I, I my understanding is that even from the get-go, uh, Jeff Davis wanted his show to be something where the people at home could try and solve the case and find the clues along with the BAU. And even though it's not really that type of show, especially on the episodes where we know who the killer is, it's still he does that sort of thing. So like even if you notice that, you're supposed to notice it. It's just not right, but it's good that you noticed. Well, I think if we could get some sort of points, I would appreciate it. Okay. Um. Oh, let's just ourselves some points. Two points for you. Okay, thank you. And five, five points, points to Gryffindor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We cut back to outside, I think, of the house. And, and basically they figure out, uh, Hotch and Gideon figure out that this, the, the girl is still alive because of the way DJ Qualls was talking to about the girl. Uh, yeah, he was using he was using the present tense. Isn't isn't she the girl? Yes. He was playing dumb, like he didn't really know what was going on and everything. And it's like, you know, the girl Heather. And like, oh, isn't she the girl who got kidnapped? Like he said, isn't, not wasn't. Here's the point in the show where they start talking about how they have this profile, but it's something. There's so many conflicts in the profile. There's this two different behaviors, and then they Hotch and, and Gideon kind of look at each other and say. Two different behaviors, two different killers. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Okay, so. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a little late in the game for this, quite frankly. But, you know, it, it, 
it gets them out of jail free card. It's like, why we, why were we right on some things and wrong on the others? And, you know, like, yeah, they were right on the car, but we already knew that that wasn't the car that the actual kidnapper used because we saw the kidnapping. So, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice way to, like, just say, yeah, 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 we got it. We got it. We got it. He's clearly not the guy because because, quite frankly, even though we didn't see the kidnapper or the nail clipper guy uh, too closely, we knew it wasn't DJ Qualls. <laughs> yeah. The body yeah. type just was not right. That doesn't, yeah, exactly. And he did talk to her, and you know, so, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that wasn't no DJ Qualls voice. Oh. So uh, they figure out, they're kind of profiling him still on the way, Slesman, that is, and they say, he's, he's really smart, but he's also the submissive guy. They need to figure out uh, another name of somebody that could be sort of in cahoots with him on this. Ooh, I like that word, cahoots. It's a fun word to say. So they decide to get get the grandmother back and, and question her a little bit more. And meanwhile, Morgan makes a phone call to what appears to be, to me, the uh, BAU's version of Chloe O'Brien from 24, basically. Yeah. I don't know if she serves that role or uh, she will morph into different things. The, the Paula Perrette, Paula Perrette of uh, NCIS. Yeah. Got all, yeah. Um, this is this is Penelope Garcia. Yes. Um, this is her first uh, appearance on the show. Um, she, this was supposed to be a, a one and done. This was supposed to be a oh, really? read these lines and see you later. And I mean, it's not going out of spoiler territory here to tell you that, uh, yeah, 323 episodes later, she's a huge part of the team. Like she's still around. Yeah, she's she's Penelope Garcia. But uh, this version of Penelope Garcia with the sweater vest and just the the, even the the attitude and the interaction with Morgan. It's good. It's entertaining. She's not a fully formed character yet. It'll take a while until she becomes the character that we know. But they like the work that she did so much, even this one limited role, that uh, they just signed her on to be a recurring guest for the rest of the, the season. So she uh, she reminded me uh, in appearance slightly to – I don't know if you remember the actress uh, Denny Dillon. Sure, Denny Dillon, a uh, one-time member of Saturday Night Live's Saturday Night cast, Live. yes. the Gilbert Gottfried, Charles Rocket season. Yes, indeed. That's uh, that's uh, who she reminds me of, anyway. Just thought I'd throw that out there. If you guys are uh, as old as AJ or myself, you might remember the and get that Denny yeah. Dillon reference. Yeah, there used to be a show called Saturday Night Live. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> so the name of this actress, by the way, uh is uh kirsten and i'm gonna murder the last name vangsness vangsness that's good to me yeah vangsness yeah Um, they 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 have a little uh back and forth when morgan is is talking to her saying hey you know this dead ball just like oh dead ball (laughs) you're screwed (laughs) no sorry which which um yeah garcia is going to become a bit of the uh the magical uh wizard at the computer basically anytime they need to plot to move she's going to come up with the, the the right keystrokes so the fact that here in the first episode she's like oh, can't help you buddy <laughs> is really ridiculous uh, and out of character but at least again it's, it's charming the way she's like oh i thought this was the office of, of uh, genius like well, you called the office of too freaking bad <laughs> yeah exactly nice line nice line read quick short scene but it served its purpose and it, it got her the gig. So, uh, and since she becomes one of the most beloved characters on the show. Okay. Good. Uh, so don't forget about Penelope Garcia, ladies and gentlemen. 
we now cut back to them and they're interviewing grandma and she remembers uh, Slesman having one friend. <laughs> one lone friend. There was this boy. <laughs> there was a friend. His name was Charlie. And uh, Greenway he owned takes. Owned chocolate factory. <laughs> Greenway takes two seconds to type in a computer and goes, "Oh, Charlie is probably Charles Linder, who was Slesman's cellmate in prison." All right, you know. Yeah. I'll, and I'll in future in future episodes that they're going to keep Garcia on the line for something like this, and Garcia is going to do all the clickety clickety clack clack clack. Okay. So they had, yeah, for some, for whatever reason, they had Greenway do that uh, in this case. Anyway, they were those two were incarcerated in a prison called Cascadia or in a town called Cascadia, and just Gideon decides to go up there. Uh, we cut back to Morgan's bed, uh, to Slesman's bedroom, and and Morgan is uh, in the bed. He's lying down on the bed trying to get his head into into Slesman's so he can figure out what the password is, and he's lying down and he realizes there's a CD player there and he sees lots of CD room and CDs in the room. But my man, Shamar, he's not going to, you know, search the room himself. He calls the flunkies from before, the same ones that messed this whole thing up in the first place. That's right. I want you to search through all of these CDs. One of them is going to have scratches on it. I want to know what, what this guy listens to the most. You find me the CD. Of, of these thousand CDs in the room that has been played the most. And, yes. and they're like, sure, no problem, boss, and start searching through the CD. Uh, I uh, mean, you know, <laughs> yes, sure. You, I mean, Morgan's grasping it straws at this point. And it's, but, you know, it, it does go to the, the whole Morgan's trying to almost emulating Gideon a little bit here. So, you know, even though there's antagonism, he does, he does understand it gets results. And so he's, all right, I'm, I'm the, the unsub. What, what do I do? I go to sleep. This is a bedroom. What do I do? <gasps> CDs. I mean, it's a long shot, but I mean, they need a password and it, nothing else has worked. Although I, I really wish there had been a poster that said good boy on it. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, we go back to the, to the office, I guess. I guess that's where they are. And, and Hotch is there, and he's uh, talking to Doctor Reed, uh, asking if they have an address yet for Linder. And it's it's apparently coming through at that moment as they're speaking, p- probably by fax um, and uh, <laughs> teletype, smoke yeah. signals. Uh, and and Reed wants to wants to talk with Hotch about what's up with Gideon and what what senior management trying to what do they want out of it. Uh, do they want like a field assessment? Again, Hotch is just like, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Basically, eh, you know, don't worry. There's nothing to see here. And then Reed asks him why Gideon always refers to him as Dr. Reed. And Hotch says, well, he knows that people see him as a kid and he wants to make sure that people respect him. And then he says, what's the address? And and Reed looks down and says, it doesn't matter anymore. And we cut away from that. Yeah, um, building up false suspense for just it, it, not necessary at this point. Could you just kind of break the news? I mean, yeah. I, the one thing is we are watching these without commercials, so I, you know, I don't, you don't always know where the commercial breaks are falling there. So maybe right. it's a go into the. Yeah. So we cut to the prison at this point, and AJ, we have a quote. No. Yes. We hear Gideon voiceover. Winston Churchill said, "The farther backward you can look." The farther forward you will see. Mm. What do you think about that one, AJ? What's the what's the I like you sort of translating these here. 
Yeah, well, you know, uh, they're going into uh, Lesson's past. And by going into the past, then they can ah. figure out who to pursue going forward. Oh, yeah. All right. I like it. it makes sense to me now. My story, they I'm sticking ha- to it. <laughs> they, yeah, they should have you doing them um, in the show. Maybe we can recut them or something where you give the interpretation after that. I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> uh, so... Gideon is asking the warden of the prison if there's anyone who can talk to him about Slesman, and the warden comes up with some guy named Tim Bogle, who's a a security guard that was covering uh, Slesman's cell block. Greenway comes up to Gideon and says, well, she just got a call from Hotch, and this is where the bombshell that we were so in suspense for before, that Charles Linder is dead. He died two months ago in a car accident. Uh, So the former cellmate is dead. And probably not the guy we're looking for then. <laughs> so Very we, difficult to, to commit murder from the grave. Yeah, exactly. So then we uh, cut to our, our security guard, who's Tim Vogel. And he's played by an actor. I'm just bringing up his name because I like it. Uh, his name is Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. He's a fabulous president. <laughs> exactly. Andrew Jackson uh, is the guard. Tim Vogel, and he's walking along with uh, Greenway and Gideon, um, basically saying, too bad you guys came here for nothing. Uh, Linder was scum. He was the scum of the earth. You know, so many times I had to put him into solitary. It's going on about scummy prisoners and, and how half of his job is just to protect them from one another. And, and Gideon sort of perks up at that. Oh, oh, protect. Did you say protect? Uh yeah, and Vogel is like, yeah, what if you're a little white guy, especially in a prison like this? Gideon and, and, and Greenway sort of peep out Vogel's keys as he's unlocking the door for him. And then we cut to them in the parking lot to uh, Gideon and, and uh, Greenway, in the parking lot, heading to their car. And they figured out that Vogel fits the profile. And the key on his keychain was a big Datsun Z keychain. It was a Z keychain. I think that's a, probably the biggest dig up, biggest giveaway in the uh, whole episode. Yeah, Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, and and that was something that you couldn't really have seen until they revealed it because the first time he's doing the keys, you you see the keys there. You, they definitely put in focus on the keys, but um, okay, what what's with the keys? So you knew the keys were important, but they didn't reveal that until yeah. like they said it, and then the look, it's a Z. Get it, Z. Z. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I, I guess it's OK because technically we have seen him. He is the killer. But we did we didn't really see. I don't I kind of don't like when they introduce somebody sort of almost in the last act that winds up being someone. But, you know, well, prepare to be disappointed in the show. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, well, is it the, 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 there are different uh, types of episodes and some of them, like I said, some of them are mystery episodes which is this one where we're not going to know who it is and there's going to be you know the scooby-doo-ish kind of thing we're like oh gosh it's old man wilkins oh my gosh we didn't yeah. know and sometimes it's going to be uh you watch the guy kill him in the first act and uh it's just oh what will they catch the guy or will he get away kind of thing like who's going to win this game of cat and mouse so you know uh, look we didn't know who dj qualls was until they arrested him so it's it, 
this right. isn't really this this episode isn't really a mystery. This is a introducing and telling them telling us all what they do, what is profiling, how does it work, how do they find these clues, and do the clues lead them from A to B to C, and they end up in the right place and get their man. So now all they have to do is very simply just, you know, uh, follow uh, Vogel in his car and stop the car. And, uh, you know, uh, he'll, he'll probably lead them to the body. And uh, when he parks, get out and arrest them. You know, easy peasy. Oh, no, yeah. Nothing could go wrong here. Yeah. No credits. So, yeah, it's it's done. It's it's over. So, uh, yeah, they, 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 they go out to the parking lot, like I said, they, they – they follow him. They follow Vogel. He pulls away. We just got to just you you just said it. OK, um, we cut back to the FBI office and uh, Hotch decides he's going to put on a show to while he's interrogating uh, DJ Qualls because he's he's got to uh, do some things, some use some tactics. We got to see well. the tactics in practice. So he's he lowers the temperature in the in- interrogation room. And explains, you know, uh, this puts the suspect on edge. Or actually, he doesn't explain it, but it gets explained. It gets explained again. It's just like, why is she doing that? There's a lot of there's a lot of that. Like, why are they doing that? Um, But yeah, now that they have the name, they can use that name as leverage because obviously uh, he's gonna know that they got the right name when they say the name. So it's it's no longer a bluff on their part. They can just say the name and watch the sweat beads build. Right. So he has them bring in a bunch of get get a bunch of file boxes and, and just fill them with whatever you know, but uh, write in big letters on the uh, on the box uh, Timothy Vogel. <gasps> so it, it it appears that they've been quite, you know creating quite the case against Timothy Vogel this whole time. Mountains of evidence. They bring it in and uh, he basically says, "Look, Richard, we don't care about you. We care about." Tim Vogel and they bring in all the boxes and uh, and the clock and and DJ's mind starts to sort of work as he's figuring out uh oh I think mm-hmm. they they might have me here. Then we cut back to Reed who's back in uh, Slesman's room which we can't get out of this room of childhood <laughs> uh, and all the CD, CD cases there it, it's a huge mess now they're all over the entire room they're covering the bed. And I swear there's maybe more CDs that were in those shelves before we started. Like, they completely littered the set. Well, you know, these cops are so inept. They probably went out to their local Sam Goody and bought some more CDs. <laughs> brought them in. Maybe these are damaged and scratched. So uh, so he's he's laying there and he's thinking about it. I guess he's doing his little imitation of trying to get into Slesman's head. Then he decides to pop up to the attic where we still – I'm calling it the agate attic. I don't know what room exactly they're in in the house, but it's where the computer is. Yeah. And and Morgan's stressing out about getting the password before before the girl gets killed. And I don't know what why they. I mean, yeah, the computer is there and they can't get into it. I don't know how they know that it may you know have something earth shattering on it. They don't know, but if 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 he's going to go to the trouble of putting the honey trap in there, yeah, it's probably something in there that he doesn't want you to see. So. Yeah, it could just be a wild goose chase, uh, but, you know, uh, it, it's, you know, plus they just spent the last, you know, six hours with this CD thing. It's now it's a matter of principle. we got to find the damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I, it just occurred to me the irony that, uh, you know, DJ has a lot of CDs. Yeah, well. He's really into music, that DJ. Yeah, but it should be records. It should be records. So 
we see Morgan sort of walking into the attic. I mean, uh, uh, not Morgan. We see uh, Reed sort of walking into the attic and twirling a little paperclip in his hands. And I'm old school. I knew actually right away what that paperclip was for because I've had to do that on a laptop that has run out of power. You stick your little paper clip into the little tiny hole that the, that's there, and uh, it it, op- it opens up the CD tray even when you have no power, so you can get at the CD. And that's what they do. They open well, up. I'm, the I'm CD. actually surprised you didn't go. You know, a CD is a device that records <laughs> music. <laughs> yeah. 2005. I'm just we we were all we have to just all bring ourselves to 2005 and and. But yes, you're right. It is some weird thing. Um, yeah, yeah. puts puts the paperclip in, like you said. Opens the door to the uh, CD uh, carousel, and uh, what do you know? There's a CD in there, one that they had forgotten about, that they hadn't seen before. Yes, and, and it's Metallica. <laughs> yeah, and Morgan's like, "How did you figure this out?" This sort of goes back to what we were talking about before. Before Reed, like, "Whoa, how did your brain come up with this idea?" Well, it was the one empty case that was that was there. So okay. So really, he was just double checking. He already had the answer. That jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then at this point, Morgan starts to go big brain. You know, he's he's like, all right, I'm this metalhead insomniac. <laughs> all right. And I listen to Metallica when I go to sleep at night. What song? could possibly speak to me and aj i'm not the hugest metal fan or metallica fan but i I do play a lot of trivia and also i was alive at this point in time so even in my head i was saying well it's got to be and and reed jumps to it before i do enter sandman now here's my question and we don't we don't actually we, we we will learn that they have correctly sussed out the password and get in there but would you – I mean, I hope they have at least two tries left on this password because when you say to yourself, enter Sandman, do you then type in the words enter Sandman and return or do you just enter the word Sandman? <laughs> yes, I was thinking the same thing. And, and I hope do, they had two tries. <laughs> if you do put it in, you're not going to on the first attempt put it in that space. You're just right. going to put enter Sandman. And, and do, do I capitalize? Yeah, exactly. You don't um, need more than six tries, even if you have the word, probably. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a pass, but I mean the whole thing was kind of <laughs> stupid anyway. <laughs> so. Absolutely, I'm just saying. <laughs> and let's not even get get get. Let's not even get into the fact that Inter Sandman is not on that album, but uh, you know what? That's it's all good. It, it's all good. Yeah, I mean they Metallica Insomniac. You, you had to go with Enter Sandman. I, Absolutely. I, it's I, ridiculous, I, but sure. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Anywho, we got um, the We're good to go. And yes. let's go back. Let's see what's happening with Elle and Gideon in the, in the car chase. The very slow car chase. <laughs> the very, very slow car chase. They're in the car. They're following him behind him. And, and Greenway is like, you know what? I, something doesn't seem right. I think we should stop and pull him over. <laughs> right. And uh, Gideon is like, you want to know the word that keeps coming up in your file? Uh, impatient. You want to stop him, you got to give me a reason. I feel like she did give him a reason. Like, something doesn't seem right. Like, 
yes. And 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 certainly Morgan told her to go with the gut and trust your instinct and all that stuff. And other platitudes as well. Um, I'm surprised she didn't just show him some leg at that point because that was the only other advice she got from. Him. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. I, I I don't know. I just felt like uh, there was that was a little harsh. Uh, you know, I'm not you know, complaining too much. I, I just thought it was a little harsh for for getting to fair, 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 fair. bring up her being impatient. I, I didn't think that was the proper time for that conversation. Maybe at the performance review that year, you know, <laughs> you don't have to go into it. We're, we're right behind chasing the killer. On the uh, other hand, I mean, it is a positive that he's been reading her file. So that kind of means that he's been considering her for the open spot. So maybe that's not necessarily bad news. Very good point. Very good point. So uh, Greenway's reason is, well, his behavior. He was acting all nervous when we left, but now he seems cool as a cucumber. He's obeying all the traffic laws. He's slowing down for yellow lights. He's doing everything right. He doesn't seem like anyone that's rushing to kill someone and dump a body. And Gideon's like, okay, good point. I I, I seed your point. (laughs) Reason approved. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So they, they go ahead and pull him over. Come up to the car, guns drawn, the whole, ah, FBI, show your hands, show me your hands. And they, he puts them through the window, and then, man, they pull out of the car. What a shocker. It's not Vogel. Nope. Just some dude who, uh, what are you doing in the car? What are you doing in the car? What happened? Where's Vogel? I don't know. He just asked me to take my car, and I took his car. <laughs> don't hurt me. <laughs> Yes, and classic vehicles are being represented. Yes, again, yet again, AJ, because they they ask him what type of car he has. It's a truck. It's a Dodge Dakota. It is indeed <laughs> another classic vehicle. So now they take off. Morgan's on the phone because now he's saying to let them know uh, Heather's alive. And how do you know that? Because we're watching her on the computer that we just cracked. <laughs> We've the. Apparently, it's just a live 24-hour cam in, in 2005. I guess that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. They, so the webcam technology was there, certainly. <laughs> uh, uh, of the whole scene. So they It was either right. that or just, you know, watching Abbey Road and people walking in the streets reenacting the Beatles album cover. <laughs> so they <laughs> were the right. Stage this, over. <laughs> this computer did have important information on it. Thank uh, goodness, because otherwise, what a waste of an episode. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, they figure out that uh, Vogel must be on his way to kill Heather because that's what's he going to do at this point. They're looking at the picture on the computer and Reed notices that the light light bulb is shifting subtly to and fro back and forth, which would indicate some sort of rocking motion. So uh, maybe they're they're on a boat. (laughs) Um, (laughs) T-Pain. Yes. Uh, and so then, uh, then we cut to, we see Hotch running back into the interrogation room immediately after this discovery. Apparently they've talked and he's, so he's telling the DJ, just so you know, you know, Vogel is nailing you to the wall. DJ doesn't believe him at first. And then he says, yeah, we know it was your idea to keep the girls on a boat. Uh, and that's apparently the key piece of information for, for, uh, Mr. Slesman to spill the bean. He's been busted at this point. Well, it's not even that he's been busted. It's just that because either way, whether it was his idea or not, it's a win-win because it's like, oh, they know she's on a boat, so they they know where she is, or they're they're getting close. They they, damn it! I knew I should have put the CD back in the case. <laughs> exactly. Damn you, Metallica. 
so I'll get you James Hetfield to visit. <laughs> You're on my list. So yeah. uh, he gives up the location. It's a shipyard, Allied Shipyard, which sounds like a generic name to me, but apparently that's all they need to know. Allied Shipyard and uh, Gideon and Greenway. We next see them pulling up into the shipyard and, and the end action, basically, or most nearly the end action of the episode occurs here. Greenway is is going towards the ship and then on the computer we cut back to uh, Morgan and Reed watching the scene and say oh, oh no you gotta wait for backup wait for backup uh, but she's Greenway says I, I I can't wait if I wait girl is good as dead and actually I don't know why they're telling her to wait for backup they can see Vogel is there <laughs> right. at this point yeah, like yeah. basically fighting with the struggling. Heather trying and to get he's out by himself. So it's not like he, there's like six people could be down there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that would have been my advice in that case. I'm just trying to say, uh, you know, again, they want to do, they want to give Greenway agency. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think they were successful with that. So uh, there's this whole little scrum, basically Vogel's pulling green is pulling Heather out of the cage, but she fights back a little bit and she's able to stumble outside of the boat and onto the dock. And uh, and Gideon is there, and he's got his his gun pointed at Vogel. And at this point, it's sort of like the standard villain with the hostage scene, basically. Sure. sure. Uh, and and, and uh, but we learn a little bit of something about Gideon here in this scene, I think, because his tactics are maybe not the tactics you'd expect in the standoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna psychologicalize him, <laughs> basically, uh, and starts. So he starts. Uh, Basically giving him his profile. I know all about you, buddy. Tim, you're that guy that's at the gym five times a week. You drive a flash of car and you stink of cologne and you can't get it up. This is what he says. Not even Viagra's working for you. And you know what that tells me? That tells me you are hopelessly compensating. And it's not just in your head. And what did the girls call you in high school? You know, like there's this whole it's a whole long breakdown, basically. Uh, you fumbled around in your pants and their pants and you, and they saw what little you had to offer. And, and Tim's like, shut up, shut up. Uh, and they, what did they call you? This is where what really gets them the last straw, basically. What did they call you? The nicknames got them. Short stack, very little Vogel. Oh, I got it. Tiny Tim. <laughs> and uh, that's the last straw as he, he tiptoes through the tulips and uh, pushes the girl out of the way. And shoots at Gideon, and 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 it it looked like he got shot to me. I don't know exactly what happened there. Gideon goes down. Yeah, uh, it did. It did look, but he's probably wearing a vest, so you know, as long as he doesn't hit him in the head, I'm sure he's okay. I, I, I in that in that uh, Gideon uh, exchange, my favorite part of it was when uh, he started in on on Vogel there, and Vogel says, "I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. Oh, I think you're an absolute moron." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was very honest. Blunt. <laughs> to the point mm. uh, yeah that was but great yes, yes it's great Gideon, Gideon goes down but he's okay he says, I'm okay check the girl uh, you know L has shot Vogel so L's Vogel our hero L's out of, uh, and Heather is just running screaming and running around like uh, the woman in Fargo when she tries to escape yeah <laughs> like because ah, she can't poor. see and she's just screaming she doesn't know what's happening at all poor girl this poor girl yeah she's, she's duct taped her eyes and she's on a dock that seems a little scary uh, and they're shooting. Yeah, so <laughs> blind and sobbing, Elle finally gets to her and calms her down. And, uh, uh, you know, it's all good. She's going to get in the ambulance and get taken away. And she's going to be fine. Score one for the good guys. 
Yeah. And then they did that that thing where um, TV shows constantly, I feel like, do this to me. I think they're doing it to me on purpose, where they have this action scene that looks really cool and it's shot at night. And then the very next shot, them all at the same location. And you know it's the aftermath. You know, okay, they've been there a little while, but it's always we're going to go to the next day. It's day now that we need you to see what's happened. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Well, they've been I there all night. Yeah, I I, I, the scene. <laughs> I accept it, but I, 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 I never liked that transition. Of, <laughs> you know what he should have done? What he should have done is he should have held up a picture of the next day and pointed it, and then he'd have yeah, tracked it by photo. <laughs> oh, yes, that would have made me very happy. It's Gideon's superpower, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we cut to the next scene. It's the aftermath scene. It's it's already the next day. Gideon is there, and the camera hands out. 10 feet to the left. <laughs> Once again, about 10 feet, and there's Morgan and Hotch, and, and Morgan's t- talking smack, basically. Guys, he's, he's right there. This is just what I want to say. He's right there. Um, anyway, Morgan asks what kind of report do they want on Gideon, and Hotch says, oh, I just want to know whether he can be a field agent again. And and then he brings up this – at this point, he brings up the conversation with his wife, Haley, about the baby names. Guess what Gideon means in Hebrew? And Reed is walking by. So if you say guess and anything and Reed is walking by, he's going to just answer. Yeah. Uh, Mighty Royer. Uh, and and Morgan is like, uh, oh, what are you going to say? Uh, Hotch and Reed is and, and Hotch is all, well, what, what would you say? And Morgan basically says he sort of concedes. You know what? He, he saved your life. That That's good enough for me. That's it. So it got the job done. Don't have to agree with all all of the steps they got there. It worked. Even though we spent like what seems like an interminable amount of time trying to figure out those six the six attempts and what we were going to do with them on the password. We're almost at the we're almost at the end, AJ. It's, almost, almost. You know, it's it's a lot to get through to pilot. It's a lot yeah. of explanations. You got to introduce the characters. You got to introduce the setups, and then the, you got to over-explain, over-explain. That's what you do in pilots. We over-explain. Yeah. You know, we put exactly. words in our mouths and we start to form words and sentences, and we just over-explain what we're doing. <laughs> I I I see what you're doing there, and you're right. We cut back to the company plane, and now it's it's flying home. I'm going to assume this is like a regular thing at the end of an episode. We're, we're flying home now. Oh, get used to uh, stock footage jet shots, yes. <laughs> and uh, it seems like mostly everybody's asleep, but uh, Gideon and Hotch are up. And, and Hotch is, is like, uh, hey, what's up? How you doing, buddy? And <laughs> Gideon's like, hey, you know, there's some kind of a little bit of tension between them. Not a heavy, too bad, but there's something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He asks if, if Haley's picked the baby's name yet. and. They sort of go through this thing where uh, Hodge is like, well, so they're playing some kind of uh, naming game, uh, not naming game, but he's talking about the conversation he had with his wife. And every name that his wife comes up with, basically, Hodge uh, can't accept because all he can think of is a serial killer that matches that name. Mm-hmm. So he's like, she really liked Charles. All he could think of was Manson. Uh, then there was Henry and Gideon's like Lee Lucas, and then he's like, then it was Jeffrey Dahmer, and then and he says there's just too many of them. I just want to throw out there, the name Kintad is not associated with any uh, serial killers that I know of. And uh, there we go. 
just in case that you're in a similar situation and you're trying to find a name that a serial killer doesn't have when you're naming your kid. Although I do remember back in 63, there was the Hoopachu stalker. But <laughs> Well, that's true. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. Um, so, yeah, there's basically just too many of these names. And, and, and Gideon says it's hard catching one when you know that there's 50 more out there. I think that's maybe how many episodes they thought they were going to have. But you know, it, it it it's it's the basic setup for more episodes. It's yeah. the race on Detra. It's the uh, end of Friday the Thirteenth. Even <laughs> but then, he's still out there. Yeah, get one. There's always gonna be more. And then Gideon uh, turns around and says, "By the way, how's your report going?" Because basically, he knew the whole time. He, yeah. And he is freaking smarmy at this point. The Hutch is like, oh, you heard about that? Like, you got you to get one bit to prove finally like me, but you're not. <laughs> not, 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 not. Exactly. Um, so that's that's pretty much the episode, except what? we have one one more little scene, and we can't end this without another quote. AJ. You have to have a normally there will be two quotes there'll be one at the beginning you know after the after the credits there'll be one at the beginning usually when they're on the jet not always but uh that's usually the place where and then one at the end usually when they're on the jet (laughs) yeah this was a lot of quotes this episode this was was overboard yes this was a lot so gideon voices it over it's a classic quote one that i've even heard before uh myself uh nietzsche once said that when you look long into an abyss, the abyss looks into you. And then we see a car pulling into a gas station, and uh, the screen tells us that we're in Dumfries, Virginia. Um, Gideon gets out. He starts pumping his gas. There's a store at the gas station, you know, the little gas station stores, as you will have. And uh, he goes you got to pay by cash. you got to turn on the pump yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so he goes in there. And uh, he's he's looking behind the clerk, and this creeps me out kind of right away. These 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 Polaroids are there's hundreds or a couple hundred or whatever Polaroids behind this clerk of just people's faces that I'm assuming are customers that came into the store or, or whatever. I don't know. It was just kind of creepy. This. Well, I, I certainly hope it's not like a rogues gallery of people who pass bad checks or something. Cause that yeah. would be that'd be a lot of people who don't do good business. But yeah, it it, it was very weird. It was definitely yeah. Odd. And uh, I should say also that the the clerk might be a recognizable actor. Is one of the uh, people that I recognize is uh, the actor Lucas Haas, who I remember from back in the day. I believe he was the kid in, in Witness. Yeah. Was that absolutely. was that him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where I, I and, and he's popped up here and there. Yeah, and he, he's grown up a little bit. He's no longer a kid in this, but uh, he's yeah. still fairly young. Yeah, and I know you don't just cast random uh, store clerk with somebody right. well, like. Well, obviously, uh, as as we're about to see, he's going to play some sort of major part. Is certainly in uh, what what uh, isn't quite a to be continued, but is clearly a to be continued of yes. some sort. So uh, anyway, the whole vibe in this gas station is kind of weird, and there's some little like glances back and forth between Gideon and this clerk. Uh, so the clerk uh, hands Gideon his change after they go through with the transaction, transaction, and uh, it says, uh, "Have a nice day." But he has a an extreme stutter. AJ. He does, and uh, well, we do know that uh, 
We've heard about stutters before this episode, haven't we? That's right. And then near the beginning, we were talking about the profile of someone called the Footpath Killer, if I recall. Indeed. But he caught the Footpath Killer. So what's going on here? Yeah. Wasn't that was that uh, Adrian Bell was not the foot. That's a different case. No, that's a different case. That was that was something in Boston. Yeah. Uh, I thought. he. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So confusing. Absolutely. It's a little confusing. And uh, and it's still kind of a, I think we see at that point the light bulb click on in, in Gideon's head. So he starts to walk out of the store. And I don't know if he's going in slow motion or that's just he's walking very slowly. <laughs> yeah, so he he's, he's walking no up. sudden movements. But unfortunately, as he had reached into pay, the side holster was visible. And you can yes. see that the clerk sees the side holster. That's so right. Gideon walks outside and kind of stops and looks up at this reflective surface. Not quite a mirror, but like just a shiny object yeah. where he can see that uh, the clerk has followed him outside. And we hear the pump of the shotgun. And then a hard smash cut to Gideon's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. Fade to black. Yeah, so uh, so this is the only episode we've ever watched. You hated it. And uh, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you. Uh, not at all. I, I'm, oh. I'm in. I'm in. Excellent. Excellent. I'm in. I liked a lot of things about it. I, I thought they went a little bit overboard and I uh, thought maybe there was some, you know, if it's not going to be a show that I'm going to sit here and want to question, I'll tell you that much. No, look, th- this is, like you said, it's a procedural. And although there's some through lines in certain, sometimes cases can, you know, come in, go out and things like that. Um, they're not all going to be cliffhangers. This is just a way to generate interest for a pilot. Like, oh, you liked it? Well, you're going to better turn in next week. You know, so right. there's a little bit of that going on there. A little little uh, sales uh, sizzle. And I, I think I, I think I liked everything about it. I liked the actors. I thought all of the choices were fine. It was good to see some recognizable faces in the guest cast as well as the otherwise, you know, it's just Manny Patinkin and, and, and Thomas Gibson maybe is are your – are your stars and Sh- my man Shamal. well <laughs> you know it, it's definitely it's definitely going to uh the characters will grow on you they'll get they'll, they're definitely going to start to get a little more defined as we go and be less stereotypy the interactions between the characters you know certainly going to uh pick up a little bit here and you know more cast members will join along the way because you know like a four like a four-man team is not gonna work but uh certainly we're gonna get that going forward and uh yeah i i think uh i think it'll be a lot of fun to see how uh how you react as the uh show develops along the way well i i don't want to keep people listening too longer but we have a couple of little things i want to do before we close this out and finish this episode for the folks so um I want to do a section, and actually you sort of suggested this, and so I'm going to sort of let you explain it. But basically it's sort of a, a, a did our good guys win? Did they do the right thing? Did Can you explain what we mean by this? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of this profiling thing seems to be uh, shots in the dark, wild guesses, and while they all have some sort of scientific basis, you know, is the profile always right? Um, and – Having seen uh, all the episodes already, um, you know, 
our good guys sometimes come out on the short end of the stick. They're not always going to save the day. That's just the way life is. Um, but I've never actually counted and seen what exactly is their win-loss record. Uh, how many people do they actually save? How many killers do they actually catch and sent into jail? How many do they, they actually kill? How many get away? Uh, how many people do they uh, end up dying because they went down the wrong path before they end up catching the person? Like, I, w- I wonder if we can keep tabs on all these things, kind of like the rolling scorecard. Um, it's very easy this episode because there was one victim when they were called in. You know, we're not blaming them for the four victims beforehand. They weren't called in. They were called right. in, and we had one girl named Heather who was a kidnap victim. At the end of the episode, Heather's okay and going to the hospital. I'd say... Definitely one and oh, one person saved on this yep. one. One criminal caught, one criminal dead. So, right. Uh, one arrest, one, one criminal put out of commission, and one person saved. This episode, on the whole, a win. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we got our, our one, one, and one here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, uh, I think that that was a definite win. Heather lives to ride Z's and ride in her Z's again. And maybe, uh, but I think she might take her brother with her on the test drive. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's not by him that way anymore. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So that was, uh, did they win now? Just, uh, before we end the show, let's do a little bit of, uh, you have a, a quiz for me. We're both fans of trivia and things like yeah. that. Well, and this is, this is, I think, uh, we'll come up with like three questions each week. Uh, kind of uh, about maybe the guest stars or something to do with the episodes. Plus, uh, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction uh, as well. Um, because, like I said, I know the answer. You don't know the answers because you don't know what's coming. So, maybe three questions and, and, and a prediction uh, or, you know, a guess as to what's going to happen in the future. So, let's start off with question number one. Uh, I think you probably have a good chance of getting this one since you seem to be very into Mr. DJ Qualls. <laughs> Now, in addition to uh, being in Criminal Minds, uh, an episode in 2005, that same year he also, as we said, appeared in an episode of Lost. Same year, 2005. Uh, Of the three other choices I'm about to give you, he appeared in episodes of these shows in 2005. Two out of these three, which of these three shows did he not appear on in 2005? Okay. Okay. I got you. So... In alphabetical order, we have Ghost Whisperer, Law and Order Criminal Intent, and Punked. Huh. Actually, I'm I as much as I am a fan of Mr. Qualls, that's that's this is a very hard question. And my work here is done. <laughs> yeah. I am going to take a total shot in the dark. I feel like Punked is there for a very specific reason, and, and I'm going to go with Punked as one of my – I feel like, oh, why would he be on – well, but that is a show where – I feel like maybe he would show up for something like Punked. So uh, I'm going to go with that for one of my definite answers, and then you can disappoint me in a minute. So I'm, I'm left between uh, Ghost Whisperer. And uh, which uh, of the Dick Wolf franchises was that? Law and Order, colon, Criminal Intent. Oh, that one, yes. That one that did not last. Because I, I don't know what did, if he was like a show killer. But I, 
I'm going to say he was on the show that lasted longer and say he was on the, the Ghost Whisperer. I'm sorry. Ghost Whisperer <sighs> is the one that he was not on, though it did debut in 2005 and was on the air. He did not appear on an episode of Ghost Whisperer. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, for one. Let's see if you can make it up. Question two. At the beginning of the episode, you may remember that Hotch was told to assess Gideon by one of them FBI bigwigs. This woman, she appeared on the runway and uh, said, look, you got to check Gideon out. Better let me know and give me the report immediately. You remember that scene? Yes, I do. Uh, how many more episodes did that bigwig appear in? Huh. There are 323 total episodes. Yeah, but I think this... See, I'm I'm thinking too hard, and I'm trying to game the system, AJ, because I don't want my record over the course of this podcast to be O and uh, whatever three times 325 uh, is. Uh, so I'm thinking I'm going to try to play the game here and say that this character appears in no further episodes. You are correct. This character not only appears in no further episodes, does not even get a credit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I didn't know who she, I, I didn't know her name I didn't know anything about just completely uncredited character yes. but she's in charge of Hodgner <laughs> <laughs> well I hope she, she can hire her Gideon yeah yeah I I hope yes. she's she's happy and 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 that Hotch actually just sort of left it up to Morgan uh, we, we will <laughs> we will eventually see leadership in the FBI, and there will be things fleshed out. But yes, this this actress is that was her one and done here. Uh, and our final question: uh, So you you uh, delighted in all the names that were being called uh, as potential names for Hotch's kid with Haley there, uh, and one of the names that Hotch brings up early on is Sergio, which brings a huge chuckle from Haley and like, no. Uh, but in a future season of Criminal Minds, uh, a character named Sergio will join the show. Oh. Which of the following four choices describes Sergio? A, a new member who joins the BAU, who is a bit of a renegade. B, a future love interest of one of the members of the BAU. C, a cat adopted by a member of the BAU. Or D, an unsub who ends up killing a member of the BAU. Wow. Of those choices, I want it to be C so bad. I want it to be the cat because I think that's just fun to have a cat named Sergio. But do I go with my heart or do I go with my empty head? Well... <laughs> Kinzad, in the immortal words of Derek Morgan, I say you trust your instinct. Okay. You know what? I'm going to uh, ride with Shamar, my man, and uh, go with my instinct, and let's see what happens. I'm going to say, see a cat. See a cat. Well, that's one of the dumbest things. Yes, you are correct. Sergio is a cat. Uh, we will join the show. Uh, a few seasons down the road. So we've got time before we meet Sergio, but then you'll probably have forgotten by then. But yes, be prepared for Sergio. Sergio the, the cat. Love it. Uh, and happy. my last uh, thing for you, uh, you know, I just I was just thinking here that maybe maybe we we uh, n entitle the uh, 
the record of uh, wins and losses for the team, uh, the BAUrometer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with it. I'm liking it. The BAUrometer. BAUrometer. It's French. It next week. Yeah, whatever. Uh, all right. And a prediction I would like for you to make, which we are not going to find out the answer to until it happens on the show down the road, but it okay. does happen down the road. Hotch and Haley are indeed expecting, and they will indeed have a boy. What name will they pick? Ooh. That's a good one. Um this is just a prediction out of the blue. I don't. Are they? I, I mean, if they name the boy the boy Gideon, I'm gonna be kind of upset. <laughs> uh, and I, but I don't think they're gonna go too crazy either. Just based on all the names they were considering, pretty much straightforward, common, everyday names. I'm going to predict and probably uh, not like this prediction later on, but I'm going to predict they're going to name their child after the killer in this episode. They're going to name him Richard. Richard. Okay. Well, we will file that array. We will file that away and see what happens. So that's one for the vault. We'll pull it out when the time comes and we'll track your prediction record uh, by the end of this whole affair. Okay. So while we're doing this and I, I feel like if, if I, can I reserve the right to change my mind? If I see something that gives me, I mean, not the actual naming of the child, but like if something makes me say, Oh, you know what? They're probably going to name that baby that can I, I, okay. I will give you the opportunity to uh, raise on your own the uh, okay. possibility of changing your prediction uh, based upon further information up until uh, obviously something that is so blatantly obvious. Right. Like, hey, meet my son, blah, blah. But, you know, there might be something that's even more obvious in that episode. So up until the episode where it's going to happen, yes. Yeah, and I have no idea if there's there's exactly. going to be clues or or what. So that, I, I like that. I, I like the ability because I was kind of bored immediately with my answer after I said. <laughs> well, hey, there you go. Uh, well, there you go. Criminal minds. Uh, I hope I wasn't excessively aggressive. Ooh, no, no, no. You were not too extreme with your aggression at all. All right, so that is uh, this episode episode one of our podcast episode one of the show it's all done uh i want to thank you guys that have stuck with us through this whole uh, long adventure on this one episode we'll, we'll tighten it up a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah we'll do some editing but i i want to thank all of you for uh staying with sticking with it and i hope you've enjoyed it and definitely uh we will uh we will continue for now and see how it goes so aj thank you so much uh, I had a great time. Always a good time, yes. And uh, we shall see you on the next episode of Felonious Pundits. A cliffhanger is when author Buffy Andrews. <laughs>